the most action-packed content from the top mobile experts. This is the App Masters Podcast with Steve P. Young. Check ASO is an analytical ASO platform that provides you with up-to-date data on keywords, competitors, ratings, and reviews. It also grades your ASO level and gives you custom tips on how to improve it. This way, you can increase your app page visibility, organic traffic, and installs with every update. Try it now for free for seven days at checkaso.io. That once again is checkaso.io. We all have developer horror stories from language barriers to bad code to developing on time. That's why I recommend using B7Dev com. They're affordable, fast, and more importantly, trustworthy. Go to b7dev.com. What is up, App Nation? It is Steve P. Young, founder of AppMasters.com, the place you go when you want action-packed content related to helping you grow your app downloads and more importantly, those revenues. And today I've got a phenomenal guest. I've been super excited to talk to her. She built an app that really takes the complexly, the conflict process of managing child support and sharing expenses between the two parents. And she built the first version. I'm gonna hear how she's done that. She's gone on to raise millions of dollars. I'm gonna learn more about that, but she's a former Silicon Valley executive and single mom who created an app that you have to check out if you have some child support issues that you need to get done. It is called Support Pay. You can go check it out on the App Store or just go to supportpay.com. Sherry, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Super excited to be here. Sherry, let's talk about how it all began because I think we, before we hit record, you said you, you built the first version. Absolutely. Yeah. So I was a, you know, former Silicon Valley exec. I'm a child of a divorce. My parents went through a horrific divorce. So when I faced my own divorce, I, you know, didn't want to have my daughter go through what I went through. Mm -hmm. And when people talk about divorce, everybody talks about how horrible it is. And then you feel like, oh, awesome. My life's going to get, you know, even better. And what I quickly realized was, yeah, after the divorce, um, you still have to communicate about money with your ex and mm -hmm. things didn't get better. It got worse. And so, I was simply looking for a solution and was shocked that there was nothing out there. So that's where I said, fine, let me see if I can try to build it myself and deliver it to, to parents who desperately need a solution. A couple of things I want to hit on first, Sherry, is one, how many down, how many apps did you check out before you're like, man, is, is this even exist? I look everywhere, yeah. I, you know, and I, I actually got the idea when I was doing um, my expense management, I was just submitting an expense report. And I figured, hey, wait, you submit an expense report, you attach a receipt, you get reimbursed. And I said, and the number one reason why people say they don't pay child support is they don't believe the money is actually going to the kid. And so I said, so I was sharing receipts with my ex and said, well, why can't we do the same thing for child support? Oh, I love that. Right. And so realize, and then you have bill paying that you have on your bank, you have expense management, you have like mint.com, but nothing solely focused on combining those into a single application for parents who uh, don't particularly want to talk to each other. Now you're an executive, right? And from my experience with working with executives, they love to delegate. So what made you say, hey, I'm going to build the first, first version versus just finding somebody to help, help you build it? Well, I actually started with having somebody uh, build it. I defined okay. all the criteria and what happened and you get it back. And when you don't code and my background is definitely not uh, coding. I have a 
poli-sci and theater undergrad and an MBA. So mm-hmm. they gave me, you know, the first version. I'm like, yeah, this is great. And then we went to go change anything and the, the product fell apart. And I was like, wait a second, how do I know with what they're giving me is actually good? And it wasn't, and it was actually very costly. So that's where I was like, okay, there's no way you can be a CEO of a tech company and not know how to code since that's just the core basis of your company. Yeah. Did you teach yourself how to code then? Yep. I taught myself how to code and then I didn't have any more money to, to fund, you know, developers or have internal employees and um, needed to fix the app. And so it was either me figure it out or there would no longer be a support pay. And so, yep. Taught myself how to code, but started with our website um, and PHP, HTML, CSS, and then kind of expanded there into Java, um, you know, and then now react and next.js. Now, did you, I know you've gone on to raise over 7 million in venture funding, but did you start off with some seed money? Like how was that first initial funding? No, the first initial funding was self-funding. I was completely um, bootstrapping and had given up, you know, a very lucrative uh, Silicon Valley executive career um, and was like, okay, I have to conserve money as much as I can and needed to build the first, you know, at least first MVP to see if this was actually something people wanted as much as I felt like, you know, I needed it personally as a solution. Yeah. And how did you go about like testing that that MVP was, you know, part of the, this is people, what people wanted? Oh, well, a lot of it was one, just talking to uh, a ton of one parents, both moms and dads, because the reason why they want the product is very different. You know, a dad is not typically the one who does the shopping. And so they're saying, hey, I have no problem paying. I just want to know the money's going to to my kid. So they want to see that proof and that receipt. And the mom is like, I don't need anything more than what it you know, I need to financially support the kid, but I'm tired of arguing with him. I'm tired of nagging and having yeah. to remind him, email, text him, call him. Um, and so talking to both of them and saying, hey, how can we use a technology to actually enable um, us to not have to talk to our ex and let the app do all the communication? While we're on the topic of this, Sherry, it might be interesting. Like I did want to get into the fundraising aspect of it, but when did you go about being like, okay, I'm going to self-fund this. When was the right time to actually get venture funding? Well, it's a, it's a, I'll say a long story. So I did end up raising um, early on a total of 7 million. The first 3 million of seed, um, I was recommended by my investors to not focus on revenue, but focus on users. And so that's what I did. Um, But then if you don't have revenue coming in, you're completely dependent on outside capital to keep the company going. And so I then uh, went to go raise a Series A, and I was able to raise four million Series A. But as part of that, I um, became one of three board members. The other two board members being investors, and was forced to bring a second in line um, behind me. And fast forward seven months, I was fired from the original support pay, and I was devastated, lost everything, and um, you know, was trying to figure out what I was going to do next, but I was still incredibly passionate about it. I was not fired for anything to do with the product or the business. It was completely personal, and then three months later, I get a notice uh, with all the other shareholders that they were liquidating the company. They were shutting it down, and so I went back to the investor, you know, the board and said, please let me come back. Let me fix this, and I didn't get a response. So I then found out that there were um, four offers to acquire the company, but when they found out I was no longer involved, they withdrew the offers. So in 2008, 
18, I decided to do one last Hail Mary. I formed a new holding company and I got a proxy and made an offer to acquire all the support pay assets back. So at that time, I'd use the rest of my savings, took out a loan and bought support pay back. Wow. That's an incredible story, Sherry. Yeah. And then from there was like, hey, I'm bootstrapping. I'm self-funding. I'm never going to do the, uh, you know, raise outside capital again. And the one big lesson I learned too was focus on revenue. Why spend all your energy on a product if people aren't willing to pay for it? And so, and that keeps the company going as well. So I was, you know, myself fixing it, coding it, the developer, the marketing person built the website, redid everything, um, and then bootstrapped for about a year and a half. And then last year decided to apply to Jason Calacanis's launch accelerator. Um, and this was post, you know, we were making money, we did have revenue. And then through that, um, was able to raise about a million dollar in seed. Nice. Wow. What a yeah. story. What a story. I love this. Sherry. Okay. There's so many things I want to get to. I was like, what's a lesson you learned? Like, would you do things differently? Because in your story, kind of, I was going to bring this up while you were talking about the fundraising. When you yeah. said focus on users, I was like, I have clients who want to seek fundraising or I'm like, dude, just focus on revenues because that's all they're going to care about in the very beginning. It's like, what should I focus on? Users or revenue? Users or revenue? And I said, revenue, 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 revenue. And that's all I keep hitting on. But, you know, I don't have a story like yours, just say, look, this is why I'm saying this. I'm just saying like, this is my hunch. And this is what yep. I see from others who want to seek like, okay, great. Cause you can show them a pile of users, depending on the type of app, obviously, if you're social network, great. But like you can show them a pile of users, but if they're not converting, they're going to be like, why aren't they converting? Your retention sucks, blah, blah. You know, they go into those details. So I'm like, look, we can fix the user problem with more money, but we can't fix the revenue and conversion problem with more money. You're going to have exactly. to product. Exactly. And people want to give you money when you don't need it. Right. And so yeah. yes. if you have revenue coming in, then no matter if you're able to raise outside capital or not, the company continues to go grow and, and continues to be in business. The second thing is a huge lesson I learned is like, why are you going to spend your days, nights, 16 hours a day, you know, seven days a week working on something if people aren't willing to pay for it. Right. So if there's no value in what you're doing, then you should probably be doing something else. What made you keep going, Sherry? What made me, one, I'm, you know, uh, I'm the typical, you know, grew up poor kid who, you know, only person in my family go to college, much less graduate high school. And I, so I, one, I strive on the people say that you can't do this. And two, I know that this is a huge problem. I knew that we were just on the brink of explosive growth. I knew there was no one else out there doing it. And we had learned so many lessons in the beginning that it was just a matter of, okay, don't repeat the previous mistakes, but go out there and do something that no one else is doing. Wow. That's crazy. And with Jason Calacanis, like I, I know Jason DeMont, I don't know if he was, he's probably gone by the time you got there, but he worked close, closely with Calacanis and I know him pretty, pretty well, Jason DeMont. We used to work together. Uh, yeah. Know? I don't know if Jason was still there, but Jason Calacanis was incredible. Yeah. Um, and going through his, we were the first virtual, like fully virtual yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. right after COVID, but just working with him and his big thing is again, he doesn't accept anybody unless they have some revenues. That is true. That is true. Yeah. I remember that seeing that too. That's awesome. So that experience was good. <laughs> yeah, it was fantastic. And it was, it, you had to have revenue. You could go yeah. in and it could help raise the money. He helped you, um, you know, with the 
the his, his network with himself with um, the broad resources that they have to really help you continue to scale and grow the company. Yeah. But again, type you know nothing happens unless you have revenue. And unfortunately, for a female founder, we still only get two percent of the VC yeah. capital. So the odds of raising outside capital aren't very high as it is, especially if you're a female founder. Wow. I know one of the things that I want to transition to some of the things that did work well. For, actually, let me end with this, Sherry. Anything else you want to share with that? Because I think it's a phenomenal story. Is I don't want to miss anything without making sure you have an opportunity to think through like all the different lessons you learned from all that. No, I think the thing is, is they always say your first startup fails. So lucky for me, I, you know, got to, you know, learned all my lessons from that first startup. So I didn't repeat it uh, the second time, but got to continue to focus on something that I'm incredibly passionate about and believe yeah. that there's a solution out there. But like I said, is don't bank your company, your app on whether you're going to get outside investment. If you do, that's a, you know, cherry on top, but focus on your app, your conversions and building something that people want that solves a problem and that people are willing to pay for. This is a story that now I can point to I'm like, Hey, here's why I'm telling you this too. Now I have a real story and I love, that's why I love doing it. Sherry's I get to talk to so many amazing founders and, you know, app marketers and just really digest all the different information that I'm getting from different people. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for sharing that. Okay. Mm -hmm. So let's transition to SEO and why that was really working. You chose that early on to really focus in on SEO. Yes. So what we found was if you look even on Google, on the keywords, on the cost per click, those things, yeah. divorce was, inc the keyword divorce was incredibly expensive right. um, if you were trying to bid, bid for it. And it was so saturated. But what I found was no one was uh, targeting child support as a term. So the only people who were focused on child support was government sites, um, state systems, et cetera, child support services, child support enforcement, but no one was focusing on it from a consumer standpoint. And so that's where we really said, all right, let's own that, own that, um, that term, you know, not co-parenting, not divorce, these really mm. expensive terms, but finding a term um, that had a very high search volume, but that no one was focusing on valuable content around that term. Oh, I like that. And you just started making, what did you start when you would think, when you did thinking about SEO, did you start off with just building content or just reorganizing your pages? Like, where did you start? All of the above. So bu yes, okay. building content, building valuable content, obviously, um, that was focused to parents that maybe captured some of those other more expensive terms like divorce, like co-parenting, but really all of the uh, unique components around child support. And then what you quickly found was people weren't just searching child support, they were searching it based on their state or even their county. Right. So then building out state um, pages and then state content and county content and really targeting those so that even if we weren't doing Google ad paid ads, we were consistently and we still, you know, are now on page one, even in the top 10 when it comes to the term child support or child support calculator. Yeah. You're number three in child support. I mean, for me in California, child support, you're number three for child support calculator. Right now, yeah. I see it. yeah, and we're usually the only ones that we're behind is typically um, government. state government, yeah. and those yeah. are in incredibly hard to outrank, right? Right, yeah, always. Yeah. Yep, number one and two dot cal dot gov dot cal dot gov. Yeah, yep, and exactly. You're the, first, you're the first dot com that shows up. 
Yeah. And if we tried to go against something like a divorce, um, then, it, you know, we wouldn't would be on page 25, you know, of Google. Yeah. And so we needed to to one, pick a term that had a high search volume that we could own and then building out the content and then making sure that everything um, on our site is optimized specifically for those terms. You know, I wonder if you, how you feel about this, Sherry, because I always feel like sometimes maybe you don't need to have an app right off the bat. Right. Like, and I've talked to a couple of different, they happen to just be female founders, but I was talking to them and like, she told, one told me that she has an app that supports women walking together and specifically for women, it's called 99 walks. She's saying like my web traffic converts way better than any app traffic I throw on it. Do you have any Intel on what you're seeing on your end, whether yeah. the web app and the app app mobile app? Yeah, so we um, have so a support pay the app that helps to manage the child support is available on iOS, Android, mm -hmm. and the web. Um, the but our traffic on our site, yeah, we're getting between forty and seventy five thousand visitors to our site a month just from the term child support. And wow. so what we're learning too is capturing users in the beginning when they're just even um, or you know emails in the beginning when they're thinking about divorce, thinking about child support, thinking about how much it's going to cost them or how much they may potentially get paid. Um, and then using that as a long-term conversion strategy once they are uh, going through a divorce or finished divorce and they need a solution. So that also has provided us the ability to not only drive revenue, on, obviously our primary revenue stream is through our app and the right. subscription model, but also driving revenue through affiliates, people wanting to market to our customers and referrals. Wow. That's amazing. Okay. I want to get into that. I'm glad you brought that up, but so are you, and I think, you know, you, and I love you to get your opinion on this, but I feel like sometimes, Hey, you know, like the app supports the web app, right? Like it's correct. But get people to convert on the web because maybe you guys, maybe you guys are doing this. Cause I know I can get started for free on the web, but like you don't have to pay Apple the 30%. Like it becomes just like something that complements the entire app ecosystem, not just being mobile first. And I think too many times, like if your app allows it, you can't just do things on the web. Like you don't have to actually be in the mobile app app. Rely on that. What do you what, think? I absolutely. And we also do, a, I don't, I think it's not, again, it's creative, I guess, is that we have a free version. So on the app store there, it's yeah. all free. Yeah. And then the user, if they want to use a premium feature, then they pay and thereby we don't pay Apple 30%. So what is on the app store is there is the free version. And right. so it's, it, you know, doesn't cost us anything. And then a majority of our customers, uh, which a lot of, you know, external people say, no, mobile first, mobile first, mobile right. first. A lot of our customers um, are using both the web and the mobile app. They use the mobile app to take pictures of receipts and enter right. expenses quickly, but then they use our web app to go in and run reports and see everything in a much more detailed um, fashion that you can't physically you have on a mobile app because it's just too much information. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. And uh, that was just so I revealing to me. And, and then I looked at the app and I was like, Oh, there's some better things that you can do, but you know, don't forget the fact that you could just, this could be a web app. It doesn't have to be an app mobile app all the time. Like, exactly. Even, yeah. <laughs> like, Good. I like it. All right. I want to throw out some numbers. I mean, congratulations, $250 million of child support that's been managed through support pay over 50 states, all states using support pay. So congratulations, 70 countries. That's amazing. Yeah. 
and we haven't even marketed to those countries. And there's a hundred and some odd countries that have very similar child support laws to um, to to the U.S. We have obviously been focusing on U.S. and Canada, but right. yeah, we're even in seventy countries. It's it's been amazing. Okay, now I see this on the website too. The like, hey, I can find other experts experts in child support. So I'm assuming that's somewhat affiliate, but you brought it up with the affiliate model as being a good revenue generator. Talk to me about that. Yeah. So we now have this, you know, um, audience of people that are um, the people in the world that are spending money, which is parents, right? Parents are meticulously spending money. So not only are we driving revenue through referrals to divorce professionals, like mediators, lawyers, financial advisors, divorce coaches, but also driving revenue through um, affiliates who want to market their product to our users. So being able to monetize, well, we still, we don't share their information. We, um, you know, they pay for sponsorships. They're in our newsletter. We, our newsletter goes out to about 60,000 parents every month. So being able to drive additional revenue through different sources that helps keep the company going, but also not only optimizes for our product, but also optimizes for the traffic that we're driving on our site. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And how did you get started with the affiliate marketing? Uh, one, we just signed up like CJ affiliate, which right. uh, commission junction, those things. And then reaching out, people started reaching out to us saying, Hey, we want to advertise, um, to your, um, you know, to your customers or your, your, your visitors, um, are our target market. So we'd like to advertise on your site and, um, being able to get those links and then being able to get paid for them. I do have a couple of sponsors for my show as well. Now it's not a huge amount from an overall revenue perspective, but for me, I mean, I like it because I'm like, oh, it makes me sound a little bit more professional, right? Like having a little bit sponsors. And then two, I'm like, you know what? I want a diversified revenue stream so that I'm not purely reliant on just one thing. Cause you know, like if one thing goes away, I still have something else to fall back on. And so for me, it was that like, what, why did you decide to do that? Absolutely. Exactly the same thing is that, you know, we had spent so much time on optimizing for child support, right? And there are a lot of people that are just there trying to find out information and they may or may not use our app in the end, which we want them to, but why not monetize that traffic uh, as well? And like exactly like you said, diversifying revenue streams, because at the end of the day, say we are, you know, as we are raising more money now, they don't care where their money's coming from, right? They just want <laughs> revenue. So if we can show revenue in whatever way we can, then that's just good for us and it's good for investors. I don't think investors are like, hey, have you guys considered affiliate marketing as a revenue model? You know what I mean? They're not yeah. just like subscribers, subscribers, but then being scrappy and being now bootstrap, Sherry, you're like, okay, how can I get creative with my revenue numbers? I don't know. Exactly. That's just my assumption. Well, yes, but it also shows that there's a huge market out there to monetize this data in other yeah. ways. We also have unique data that we, you know, we've come across and the fact that even for people, the $240 million we've already managed, we have line item data. We know when a parent is buying, you know, back to school mm. or what summer camps are signing up for, or they're categorizing it based on how people think. So now that's a completely different option of being able to monetize that data um, that no one else has. Credit card companies, they may have, oh, you shopped at Target, but we know you shopped at Target on this time to buy back to school um, supplies. And so that gets us you know, a lot more data. And again, an- another revenue stream, how can we continue to monetize through all of these different options to grow the company? Yeah, I love that. And I hate when people, I had an engineer coworker back when I worked for a startup, he was like, you know what? 
data. I'm going to sell the data. And he led with data first, being able to monetize off the data. I'm like, but why would I ever use your product? Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So ours was, it was, we started with the product, but then came across, wow, this is, you know, valuable data on here. But also that takes time and energy and resources. So making sure that, okay, if you're going to do that in the ways you're monetizing, it's not going to take away or, you know, the other big area, you know, lesson learned is make sure you're focused. So yes, we have these other options, but it doesn't require a huge amount of additional engineering work in order to drive different revenue streams. It totally makes sense. And what you have to have a product that people love first. And I think that's what he was missing. And I want to take I know a portion of my audience is all engineers and they can build it themselves. Don't leave with data first. Like, yeah, yeah, build a product that people want first. And then you can think about monetizing the data later. Exactly. And if you don't have data, like you said, so we didn't even think about it until we hit about 200 million in managed expenses. Wow. Right. So you have to have, nobody cares if you, or, you know, (laughs) nobody cares about your users or your visitors if you don't have visitors or users. So you absolutely have to, you know, choose something that people want, they need, you're solving a problem. And then you can look at other creative ways of driving revenue. Yeah. Okay. One thing that did not work, and I want to hit on too, is you tempted a test something with a free trial. Can you go into that detail? Yeah, absolutely. So we have been looking at multiple different ways um, of how you monetize. And one of the lessons learned was originally we have, so our app, there's two versions. Each parent pays independently. Okay. I didn't want who paid to be yet another argument point. So one parent can be a premium user and one parent can be a free user and it doesn't impact each other. Right. So I didn't want to have both parents have to agree to pay in order to use the app. So for the premium features, um, that, that's where the value is for users. It's that long-term data and history. It's the multiple transactions. It's multiple checks, multiple payments, a lot of expenses per month versus a free user can enter a few expenses, one payment, only six months worth of history. But as part of that, when we were looking at our revenue or monetization in that premium, one big lesson was we said, all right, let's give everybody a free 30-day trial of the premium features. But what we realized was we weren't doing a good job during that 30-day trial to make it incredibly clear to those users what was a premium feature and what was a free feature. Mm. And so people weren't um, converting afterwards because they didn't realize, oh, I'm using a premium feature. Mm-hmm. So, you know, then we also said that there, that was also a delay of 30 days to even know if people were willing to pay. Right. Um, we tried the put the credit card up first, right, register and put the credit, you know, ask for their credit card. And we got that 97% drop because nobody wants to put in their credit card if they haven't had a chance to see what the app does. Right. And so now we're, um, we converted to, I'll say, more of a Spotify model instead of a Netflix model and the fact that everybody drops in as a free user. And then when they want to use a premium feature, it says this is a premium feature and you need to subscribe. Oh, got it. Got it. I like that. I like that. And how did you decide how much to give away for free versus how much to charge for? We, I needed to make sure that um, their both parents could still use the product in the base functionality without impacting each other. And the value, so ours is a subscription-based model, and the value to the parent is actually not the day-to-day. It's not being able to enter one expense and make a payment. It's that long-term history. See, parents deal with this problem on average of 12 years because most people get divorced when the youngest child is six, assuming that 
child support ends at 18, which it doesn't, but you assume it does. That's 12 years they have to deal with this. And the value to them is that long-term history, those certified records. So they're willing to continue to pay that monthly slash yearly subscription in order to have that access to those records. And then there's a lot of features that people wanted to, you know, advanced features that wanted they wanted to use. Um, as an example, I assumed everybody said, oh, I just want to send one payment. So you may have 10 expenses in a month, but you just want to send one payment. And then what we quickly realized was no parents wanted an individual, uh, what I'll call an e-check or ACH for each item. So it could be a one-to-one -one match. Instead of saying, here's 10 expenses and you owe $1,100, they wanted to have those broken out by those 10 individual payments. And thereby, they're willing to pay for that. They're willing to have 10, in they may make it in bulk, but they want to have an individual payment for each one. So it's a direct correlation. Uh, or, or they want to customize how they categorize things. Um, they want to have multiple payment options. So there were all these things that people above and beyond just the core, let me do my day to day that people were willing to pay for, but didn't impact if both parents were paying or not. Got it. Just out of curiosity, I love what you have on your pricing page right now. It says no credit card required to register and you yep. only pay when you want. It's like lesson learned. <laughs> We're going to make it known. Yes, right? exactly. And you can come in, you can try it out. We also another, you know, kind of lesson learned was we had a lot of people dropping in, creating accounts just to play around with the product. Mm -hmm. Right. And so while that was great and it looked great from a quote unquote user perspective, they weren't coming back because maybe they were even like a divorce attorney that just wanted to play with it. So they could refer their customer or their clients to it. So that's where we created a, what I, we call the support pay playground, where they can drop in and just play with the product without having to create an account and see if it's what they want before creating an account, which then we wouldn't know if they were going to actually start using it or not. Ah. Uh. I see. And then oh, we're yeah. collecting email addresses for those people who are playing with the product, but we're not getting this false flag of a lot of people who just aren't converting to actual active users. Is this right away? This playground? Let me go. Yep. yep. You can go in there. We've got Brad and Angelina and um, they're <laughs> managing their child support for their six kids. And in fact, they're still having child support issues today. And you can go and drop in and you could use uh, either on the mobile version or the web version and kind of just play around with it, make payments, expenses, et cetera. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. I got the email. Yeah, just access, go here, here's your login. Angelina and Brad, I won't give away all the information, but yeah, that is hilarious. Yes. Yep. So then you can go around and even just check it out and play around with it without, again, for us on a metrics and tracking perspective, getting these false flags of, oh, look, we have all these users, but they're not actively using it. And then we realized why. Sherry, I love it when a company has a little bit of personality as well. Brad yeah. and Angelina. <laughs> <laughs> From the monthly and yearly splits, are you guys seeing any intel on like what makes a better user? Because I've been, here's why, selfishly why I'm asking, it's like I've been promoting to the app to the audience that like, Hey, you want to get people more on the annual plan because lifetime value goes up. Everything goes up. How do we get more people? And we've come up with some, con with some strategies that will help get people to hopefully get into the annual. But what are you seeing on your end for the annual versus the monthly? Yeah, we usually typically see about three months of monthly yeah. where they want to try it out and then they're um, converting to the yearly. So once they're in and once we found that sweet spot of where they're sticky, then they're willing to um, to do the, the annual and we, you know, obviously offer a significant discount to them, mm -hmm. right? Because we, like you said, the lifetime value, the likelihood and the um, conversion rate of annual users is, you know, at, we're at 80, 85%. 
conversion, meaning we're, we're not losing them after they do that first year, they're continuously, you know, subscribing at right. that yearly price. So they use it for a monthly and then it's just like, oh, all right, I, I want to save money. So let me just go to the annual. Is that what Exactly. They, they go to the annual. And then once they're on the annual, we're, you know, we have very little uh, churn or attrition once yeah. we, they start using the annual or That's they pay the annual. That. Yeah. We've seen that too. Like monthly attrition is a lot higher than the yearly attrition. So let's just get people. I love the insight on this. And then you guys kind of like promoting, like upgrade to the annual, save 55%. This is a huge saving by upgrading to the annual. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And that's getting them on there. And then the other part is, you know, once they're on, then the other parent is on. So every one of our user, you know, once one parent's on, they're inviting the other parent. So that's the second sticky factor, right? And then once we know if both parents are on there and both parents are using it, then they're uh, golden. very likely, they're golden yeah. and they're going to stick, stick with it yeah. for a really long time. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Okay. One last question that I have, and I'll lead it up to you if I miss anything. But Sherry, like, are you doing anything? I think an overlooked channel, especially for app marketers, is email marketing. Are you guys doing anything, seeing any success on the email marketing side of things? Absolutely. We have a ton. I mean, that's where our primary focus is right now is oh, our email marketing and really doing um segmenting oh we use our we use active campaigns, so we automate the journeys and we're, you know segmenting based on moms and dads. We know who with the relationships to the children, their location, um, the message is different depending on if it's a mom or a dad um, in, inviting and trying to really hard to get people to, um, uh, to get that second parent on and just really doing testing from an email marketing perspective of once you get somebody either what I'll call at the top of the funnel when they're visiting our child support calculator all the way down to the registering and, you know, making sure that they're continuously getting value through it and doing segmented and targeted um, content for each of the div different individuals. What have you learned from those who are like, maybe, I guess I can focus more on the activation side. So people who sign up for a tr free trial, what's been some more of the effective email marketing campaigns who's signed up for free. And then, you know, what's the, without going into too many details, Sherry, I don't want you to give away all your secrets, but like from a macro level, like what's been working from that end, getting a trial person on a free plan to get them to on a paid plan. The key there is getting them to, um, is to get, start using a premium feature. Mm. So if they, if, and using email marketing as they law, they, you sign up, you register, and then you do, you know, drip campaigns, but through those drip campaigns, getting them um, to use the premium feature. So we've done everything from uh, free on 30 minute onboarding. So our customer support will get there and like help you just learn the product in 30 minutes, uh, importing your previous data. So once your data is in there, we know that if you want to do ACH or e-check payments, we know that you're going to stay on longer. Um, you know, the more you add, customize, or use. So we use that, especially that first 30 days um, to do drip campaigns to promote features that we know that once they start using it, they'll become sticky and they'll convert. Wow, I love that. I love that strategy. You're just like, instead of being like, hey, here's all the things you can do. No, here's all the cool things that you have to pay us to do. And you really highlight those features in the drip exactly. campaign. Exactly. How is that 30 minutes working? I love that strategy. How's it working for you guys? It's been working great for us. Yeah. We are for it doesn't take a lot of time. We use, you know, technology to auto uh, book it so people can book it. Mm -hmm. And for us, our, you know, to understand too, our target audience is 30 to 55 year olds. So it's not 
like millennials are used to doing everything technology wise. Um, And so making sure that they feel comfortable in using it. And then of course we make sure that uh, we have help desk articles and videos that people can use to, you know, support themselves, but really just doing like a 30 minute one-on-one with people really makes them feel comfortable. Then they feel like, all right, I got this, I can do it. And it, we found that every time we've done those, those people have converted to paid users and they've stuck around for a really long time. Not only that, I'll give you that, but the other part of it is we get great feedback on, hey, we wish the product did this. We wish the mm-hmm. product did that. Mm-hmm. So it's a combination of getting them on board, but also being able to collect the data to do user research to improve the product. I love that. And I think, you know, people keep not enough is talked about with like the strategies that don't scale, but like, this isn't probably, you know, you can't scale this. You can automate a lot of this, but getting on calls, I'll do this where I'll batch all my calls, Sherry, and I'll just AB test live. Like if I'm on a client call and a potential client, I'm just going, Oh, wow, that really resonated with them. Let me try that in the next one. Right. Like I'm able like AB test really quick by batching all my calls and just being like, okay, this worked really well with one client. Let me re, reword that and then do it again for this next client. And then you start learning a lot more than you would just be like, Oh, let me send out this email, which subject, you know, it's just like, this is way better to me. Exactly. And having a live and have a live conversation with somebody is so much, even no matter, we send out surveys all the time, but you have no idea if people are just like, click, 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 or what, you know, so having that feedback and from people who are incredibly passionate and they need this and, but, and they want, and you could see what additional features and functionality or what is confusing to them or how are they using it, even though you think it's different. And it's a lot easier to do it live than sitting they're trying to like, you know, analyze screenshots and sessions. Totally. I love this. Okay. I'm going to tell people to do, I love that part. The, what's I going to do? Is it, is it a soft sell? Like I have a hard time doing a hard sell. Is it a soft sell? Are you guys like, Hey, you guys ready to get going? We can upgrade you. Or are you going to just be like any other questions? And then you leave it up to them to potentially upgrade? Yeah. So we get them on that onboarding, you know, show them the product. And then as we're going through it, we'll say, okay, this is, uh, you know, the core, the free version, here's the premium features. Do you think this is something that you will be using or, and they say yes or no, if they say yes, say great. Hey, you know, if you, because you've spent your time with us here, we're going to give you an additional 30% off. Got it. And so okay. for the yearly, right? Yeah, we'll yeah. say if you want to subscribe today, here's a coupon for 30, 30% off. But yeah. definitely, I'm a soft sales type of person as well. Um, and so are my, you know, customer support reps. So that's it. They do it is if they see interest in the premium features. And then also after they're done with the call, they send them a thank you email with that coupon. Again, thank you for right. the call. If you want to subscribe, here's a coupon. That expires within yep. whatever days. Yep. Exactly. Have some urgency. Otherwise, exactly. you're never going to make a move. Exactly. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Sherry, thank you. First and foremost, this was definitely worth the wait. Is there anything that I missed that you want to make sure we cover? No, I think it's great. I think, you know, I love your podcast and I love all of the the tips. I've learned so much just reading it as well. So hopefully some of my hard lessons learned will help somebody else. But um, yeah, I encourage people, if nothing else, check out support pay, or, you know, they can always reach out to me if they have any feedback questions, um, you know, would love to just get people's, you know, feedback on what they've heard, or even if they've learned stuff that I didn't talk about that I could benefit from would be awesome. Sherry, you're an amazing entrepreneur. You're an amazing person. Thank you so much for coming on doing this. But I got a few last finishing questions. So you ready for the big finish? Yes. Let's do it. All right. Give us, one app that you, you should definitely check out besides support pay. 
life 360 if you're a parent <laughs> if you're i love it if anybody you don't know what it does is it tracks your kid uh, mine drives it shows you what their average speed is where they've been if they've been had hard crashes uh, if they accelerate too much if they slam on their brakes too much it shows you all of it and it uh, makes sure that if where they say they're going they actually are i love that app i, I saw i've been you know we, we helped a client that was um sort of like competing with them but in a different market and you can see the videos would just be like a picture of your child and then where the, the route that they're taking. I'm like, oh, that speaks to the parent. <laughs> yeah, it does it. And oh, look, they slammed on their brakes three times or their average speed is 84 miles an hour. And then you're <laughs> like, but the, but you know, the speed limit's 70. So all of those, you can regulate all of it and they, they can't hide from it. So it has been, I'll say as a parent, especially a parent of a teenager who drives, I, I love the app. Yeah, I love it. What's a lesson it could be business or personal that took you the longest to learn? Uh, the rev, I guess what we've talked about before, yeah. which is focus on revenue and don't spend your time and energy on uh, building something if people aren't willing to pay for it. And I think the second thing is like have an amazing team of people. So I say uh, hire, or hire fast, fire faster. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I like that spin, Sherry. Well, the website is Support Pay. It is on the iOS and Google Play, so you can check out and just search for Support Pay. You can find the app there. But if you want to check out the website and see all the strategies that we talked about, go to supportpay.com. All that is linked up into your show notes or just go there right now. Sherry, if the audience wants to connect with you personally, say thank you for coming on. If you want to send them anywhere else. Uh, they can go to my LinkedIn or, you know, send me an email directly, sherry.atwood at supportpay.com. Awesome. Well, Sherry's name is, her LinkedIn profile is linked up on her name. So you can just click on her name and then go straight to her LinkedIn profile. Sherry, thank you so much and congratulations on all the success. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you all for listening. I'll see you on the next chat. Want to increase your downloads and revenue? Check out our new ASO Master Service where we help you with ASO, optimizing your revenue, and we'll even manage your Apple search ads and Google ads. Learn more at asomasters.com. Thanks for listening to the App Masters Podcast. For show notes and amazing app marketing content, check out appmasters.co.